0: Welcome to the legal merry-go-round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face: brushes with the police, oh boy; family disputes, oh no; An injury and in accident situations, ouch. And now, here's Paul.
1: Welcome back. Here we are again with the legal merry-go-round, where I'm always hopeful that you're going to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Today, I have for you a conversation about three cases involving sexual assault. Sexual assault. That's horrible. That's disgusting. Why do people hit each other? Even worse, why do people hurt each other? And even worse than that, why do people sexually assault other people? Mostly it's men assaulting women. What the hell is wrong with these men? Uh, some people just aren't wired the right way, I guess. I, I can't stand that concept. I'm a father. I'm a husband. There's just nothing I could imagine worse than hearing the news that one of my loved ones had been sexually assaulted. Let's get right to it. There's a Michigan case where we have a case where a gentleman was convicted of sexual assault. I'm going to explain in just a few moments, Uh, but his wife uh, was charged with murder because She lashed out after she had been beaten and raped. The issue on appeal she was originally convicted was whether or not the defense of battered woman syndrome should be admitted in trial court to potentially mitigate or completely exonerate her. So here's what happened. This couple began seeing each other romantically. Um, but not as frequent as they might have until after he was divorced. Okay, well, I guess that happens. And they eventually got married. So once they got married, the man starts abusing the wife, and it gets to the point of physical abuse on multiple occasions. And it got worse than that. He then started sexually assaulting her, raping her. He would randomly and without provocation beat and hang her head against, a, a bang her head against the wall and the doors and the cabinets and the kitchen. Um, the woman was treated in the hospital for abuse on three occasions. On the final occasion, uh, the husband came home drunk. He held the defendant by her throat and threatened to kill her. He then began banging her head against the floor and he raped her. Afterwards, he sat beside the bed and he lit a cigarette. Boy, is that classic? That's disgusting. The victim stared at him, the the victim stared at her, the the husband stared at the the now abused raped wife with a glazed look. Uh, This is the facts from the transcript. So she picked up a gun and shot him right through the head. She was convicted of murder, so the question before the court was whether or not battered woman syndrome should be used again to mitigate or to completely exonerate her from uh, this conviction. The court did not allow psychological testimony about battered woman woman syndrome. After the break, I'm going to come back and tell you what happened. Now, the next case involves some college kids, and this is, I think, such a an interesting topic just from a, a standpoint of intellectual uh, understanding and decision-making, because, you know, when kids are in college, they're exploring their sexuality, perhaps even that started in high school, I don't know. But the question of consent and of force, these are all issues that come up more often than not when allegations of sexual abuse are made. And it's not always clear. I mean, we know that the human brain doesn't fully develop until you're about 25 years old, so you're making decisions before that on all levels of things which are not always the best decisions if you are younger than 25 years old. And I'm sure many of you in the audience that might be listening now can nod their heads and say, yeah, I wish I had had the chance to go back when I was 18 or 19 or 20 and redo some of the things that I decided to do then. Well, you know, the, uh, um, the expression age is uh, uh, something that we'd all like to have the benefit of much earlier experience to know what to do and whatnot. But getting back to college students engaging in some sort of sexual conduct The questions are always difficult, and particularly in situations where you have like these fraternity or sorority parties and there's drinking, or even if they're not the sorority or the fraternity parties and they're still drinking, it's always very, very difficult to really know what happened. In this case, a young woman left her college class and went to her dorm room and drank a martini. She then went to another dorm to find her friend. Uh, a man, a young man. She knocked on the door but found no answer. The door was unlocked and she went in and found him uh, and his roommate sleeping on the bed. So the young lady uh, was asked to stay for a while when they woke up. The defendant, the young man who was eventually charged with sexual assault, uh, asked her to sit on the bed and he asked her for a back rub. Boy, is that a classic line, right? And she declined both. She said, no, I'm, I'm not sitting there and I'm not giving you a back rub. She then moved to the floor and he sat on the floor next to her and he lifted up her skirt and he started feeling her breasts. He then took her pants off and unsuccessfully attempted to to have her perform oral sex on him. He then got up and locked the door and forced her to have sex. At least that's according to her. After uh, they had uh, uh, said, uh, both of them said that they got carried away, uh, she waffled on her some of her testimony, and she said, we didn't get carried away. Uh, Going back and forth, uh, she accused him of getting carried away. Um, Nonetheless, she says she resisted, and she testified that the young man, uh, however, never restrained her Uh, she did say that she tried to leave the room and then she said no throughout the encounter. So, the young man was convicted at trial, uh, and we're going to let you know when I come back from the the break uh, what happened on the appeal of this matter. The questions are whether there was consent, whether there was the appropriate use of force that would be required for a conviction. All of these types of questions are very, very difficult ones, when it's more of a he said, she said uh, kind of a situation. The third case is a very, very interesting case. It started with a very clear rape and ended with something called felony murder. So here's what happened. A young man, uh, 21 years old, uh, he was a prisoner um, and he was convicted of felony murder. At the time of the crime, Uh, He raped and severely beat an 85-year-old widow, who he had previously done yard work for. Her hospital records after this incident, after this attack, showed a broken arm, a broken rib, and extensive bruising. Now, while she was in the hospital, uh, she became very depressed. Yeah, I guess so. And she refused to eat and to be fed and she became progressively weaker. Her injuries were healing, uh, but she was transferred to a nursing home where, again, her, her status, her mental status just kept slipping and deteriorating, and she continued to resist food. Her doctor ordered what is called a nasal gastric feeding tube for her, but the tube couldn't be inserted, in part because of the facial injuries inflicted by uh, the brutal attack. She died 10 days after being admitted to the nursing home uh, while a nurse was feeding her through a syringe. The autopsy revealed that she died from a large amount of food being stuck in her trachea and she had asphyxiated, asphyxiated from that. So we get to court, and certainly um, the young man, 21 year old, who beat and raped her, was then convicted. Of what's called felony murder. He appealed the case arguing that nobody that was reasonable or rational could find that what he did caused her death. So after the break I'm going to come back and tell you what happened. So have you ever seen David Copperfield? Probably one of the best magicians and illusionists that has ever lived. Uh, Well, yeah. So he had a fan, or maybe not so much. Uh, This guy sues Copperfield for patent infringement, right? Patent infringement. This guy says that he, uh, the guy, had patented his godly powers and that Mr. Copperfield had used them during his shows without his permission, well, it turns out that the guy had never applied for nor even obtained a patent for his divine powers. Uh, the case, as I imagine you could think through this if uh, if you are, uh, <laughs> case dismissed very quickly. Let's go back to the break. You know, this is just—is there no end to the stupidity of some people? Godly powers, and I got a patent for him. You're yeah, right.
0: okay it's break time here on the merry-go-round we want to give you value so do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.TheLegalMerryGoRound.com. Again, that's TheLegalMerryGoRound.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up and every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to legalmerrygoround.com. And now back to the show.
1: I'm back. I hope you missed me. I know I missed you. So listen, uh rather than listening to my uh break discussion I'm wondering if you went out and solved the world's problems and created world peace. Well, okay, there wasn't enough time to do that, I understand, and that's not a problem. I'm not mad at you, but I expect that that's what you're going to do after uh, you continue listening to the end of this uh, very interesting discussion on sexual assault. I want to get right into it and tell you what happened on these three cases. The first one, you recall I described that a couple got married, and after the The marriage, the husband started beating the living daylights out of the wife and uh, raped her, and the very last occasion, when he's sitting on the floor, staring at her with this stupid look and smoking a cigarette, she picked up a gun and shot him. And she was convicted, and the court decided that she was not allowed to introduce testimony of her psychological state Uh, which in these types of cases has been called the battered woman syndrome. So having been convicted then, she appealed the case, and the basis of the appeal was whether or not the trial judge made a mistake and should have let the psychological testimony come in to allow for a jury to consider that perhaps she's not guilty at all because of her psychological state. Well, you might imagine that In this case, the trial judge, of course, was wrong. The battered woman syndrome is a very real psychological status, and given what had happened to this woman, uh, it was certainly appropriate that a jury be allowed to consider it. A new trial was ordered. Uh, Battered woman syndrome is actually a subcategory of something called post-traumatic stress, and that's been recognized as long and as far back as we go in our country. Uh, the testimony helped the jury understand why this woman reasonably believed herself to be in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. A symptom of battered woman syndrome is a greater sensitivity to danger, which has come about because of the intimacy and history of the relationship. Here, because uh, she suffered from battered woman syndrome, And she had an acute awareness when a beating is about to occur. She's highly sensitive to his behaviors which precede the beating. In this case, there was testimony that she felt that after he finished his cigarette, he was going to hurt her again. She knew that his glazed look and drunkenness preceded another beating. So a slight action which is normal, unfamiliar uh, to the victim, would not be perceived as threatening if this was something just completely different, but here it was a pattern. Signs of imminent danger, serious bodily injury, or death. I was glad to see that the holding in this court was to allow this woman ultimately to use that defense, and she was exonerated. The next case, I talked about college kids, And this continues to intrigue me again on just simply an intellectual level. I hope that if you are a young woman listening to this, you just make sure that you're very clear uh, in situations like this. If you're not interested in having uh, relations with someone, that you're very clear about it. And if you're a young man, I think in today's world, even more so than ever before in our country's history, you have to make absolutely sure. That if you're getting ready to have relations with a young woman, uh, that you are completely clear that this is something that's going to be consensual. So, in this case, um, the relevant law is that a person commits a felony when he engages in sexual intercourse with another person, not one's spouse. Well, this is a little bit of an older case from 2012, but it's an interesting case that I brought to you today, because of the the underlying uh, the other underlying uh, principles of law. So, again, the felony it occurs by forcible compulsion, by threat of forcible compulsion that would prevent res- resistance by someone who is acting reasonably. It can also occur when someone is unconscious or when they're so mentally deranged or deficient that such a person is incapable of consent. The rule of the law in this type of case is that the victim does not have to resist. The force necessary to support a conviction of rape need only be such as to establish the lack of consent and to induce the victim to submit without additional resistance. So the issue for the court was whether the conviction here for rape could be sustained, uh, that means upheld or confirmed, where the lack of consent exists and expressed, but no force is used. In this case, surprisingly, the court said that no, uh, the appellate decision upheld. The element of force is a requirement of the statute in this state. Insufficient evidence exists to show the presence of force. The defendant's own waffling testimony demonstrated that no force was used. So they threw this back to the legislature, and they said that the legislature in the relevant statute said clearly that the phrase forcible compulsion uh, had to uh, be found in order to find a conviction. So in this case, this he said, she said hinged on effectively what was her own testimony that there was no force and the young man was not ultimately convicted of sexual assault. Going back to the last case that I talked about before the break with the 21-year-old nut job young man crazy kid. I mean, you know, just this is just so disgusting and so upsetting. Rapes an 85-year-old woman, a woman that he had done yard work for previously. Um, Because of her extensive injuries, she's taken to the hospital, and then uh, clearly uh, this type of thing could be very depressing for anybody, much less an 85-year-old woman. She goes into a very severe depression and, and refuses food. And she gets better physically on some level, and they transfer her to a nursing home, and she continues to refuse food. So they are feeding her through a syringe uh, with food, and it gets stuck in her trachea, and she asphyxiates, and she dies. So the 21-year-old scumbag gets convicted of felony murder and he appeals the case saying, hey, look, you know, okay, I raped her, but I didn't kill her. Uh, You know, nobody would, would think that what I did had any relationship to her death. Well, here's what happened in the court. For him, the rule of law is that an act is a cause of an event if two conditions are satisfied. First, the event this woman's death, would not have occurred without the act. Clearly, she would not have been in a hospital or nursing home if he hadn't raped her. Second, the act made the event more likely. Well, again, duh. He rapes her, physically beats her. She's taken to the hospital. It's absolutely foreseeable that that kind of thing would would cause anybody severe depression, much less an 85-year-old woman. So, the question the court has to answer is, does the woman's death after being fed through a syringe constitute the sufficient cause, sufficient cause, excuse me, for this woman's death after a beating and rape such that this 21-year-old scumbag can be convicted of felony murder? The court's holding, as you might expect, yes, absolutely. The conviction is upheld. The court rules that every event has multiple causes. Here, clearly her age was a partial cause of the death. Uh, She was also a bit senile, but these things were not the cause of her death. It's sufficient that this kid's actions uh, led to what ended up being her death. Anybody would find that she would not have died in the absence of the rape and the assault and that the rape and the assault made the event of her death more likely. So we have three cases, again, sexual assault. These are very serious and very upsetting things anywhere, much less in the situations that we posed. It's common, I think, all over the United States, all over college campuses, that there are young people engaging in sex. It's not so common to find a 21-year-old who... Uh, decides to go rape an 85-year-old, and I think it is common. I think there's a lot of uh, forcible sex going on across the United States in the privacy of the home between a husband and a wife, probably a lot more than is being reported, and that's a shame. You know, your body is a temple. You have the sanctity of privacy of your body, and no one should ever, ever be allowed to take advantage of you. So I would say to anyone, protect yourself and do what you need to do if you're particularly a woman and you have been abused. Uh, it looks like a hard road to go and do something, particularly if you're economically dependent upon your abuser. But your life will ultimately be better if you go and report this and get help and get away from someone who is abusing you. I don't like to stand on a pulpit and I don't like to stand on a you know, a soapbox and act like I'm the all-knowing. Uh, preaching person. You know, certainly, uh, you know, I'm not, but I have, I think, enough experience in my life that what I've just said makes sense. I hope that you, uh, all of you, practice uh, relations with others in a way that is respectful. I want you to listen next time. We're going to have a lot of really interesting stuff. Very much appreciate if you would go ahead and uh, give me a review. Uh, on uh, the uh, iApple format. Tell your friends about this. Please subscribe to my show. This is a relatively new show, and I depend upon all of you to help me build this up so I can do more and more and better and better. See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real life legal situations.